Hey everybody, it's Brad from the Salvage Title Podcast, and we're here to do another episode of the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide. Uh, On these episodes of the show, we take a segment of vehicles and we break it down to what I feel are the three best options uh, for a new car buyer, and then I add a fourth option uh, that I think is worth looking for, and maybe isn't the best option overall, uh, but has definitely got some uh, some je ne sais quoi that, uh, that maybe gives it a little bit more light uh, from those other three that's worth considering. Now, it is important to note that uh, I am not a professional car reviewer. Uh, I do not have access to all of these vehicles on a regular basis. Uh, I have not driven all of these vehicles at any given time, but what I do consider when putting these uh, episodes together are a great number of reviews online, both in word format and in video. Uh, And there's so many different resources that you can look at out there for uh, that kind of information. Uh, I base it on some of my tactile uh, feedback that I've seen of these cars in person, and perhaps I have driven one or two or three of them. Uh, It changes from time to time. I also kind of put in um, some considerations based on uh, some of my criteria that kind of develops what is a best car in any given situation. Uh, Now these kind of standards were set with previous versions of this show and as I'm kind of relaunching the salvage title car buyers or excuse me the regular salvage title show uh, we're going to kind of relaunch how we think about cars with the salvage title car buyers guide so um, we are going to set a price in each category with which we want to kind of cap things at uh, and then we kind of look at uh, some criteria with which to judge these vehicles Uh, first up is going to be design and execution Uh, you know are these things visually appealing? Do they uh, have nice exteriors and interiors? Is there going to be some interesting design elements done in that physical aspect of the vehicle uh, that make it easier to live with day to day or make it uh, a little more usable or something like that? Uh, Things like that, I think, help, you know, you feel more comfortable with using that vehicle day to day. Uh, When you go outside and you see that car sitting in your driveway, you go, I made the right choice just based on what you see immediately. Second of all is going to be the engineering of the vehicle. Um, Are the dynamics of the car or truck or crossover uh, engaging? Are they fun? Is it a fun vehicle to drive? Uh, Is it something that uh, rides nicely? Is it quiet? Uh, It's also going to kind of come down to the engineering of the powertrain. Uh, Is it doing some interesting things when it comes to electrification? Or is it doing some kind of clever trick with gasoline or diesel or anything else? Uh, There's a lot of proof in the pudding for a lot of brands when it comes to how much work they put into each and every vehicle. And I think that's definitely something worth promoting. Now, definitely as an indication of me getting a little bit older, and we're going to kind of roll it into a separate category as well, is the safety and technology on each car. Uh, As things become more and more complicated and accidents are just as dangerous as ever, uh, it is very important that safety equipment in each vehicle uh, is considered because, you know, as things continue to improve, there are some standard features that I think are 100% necessary. 
uh, things like blind spot detection, things like, uh, you know, some active safety measures, measures being equipped uh, standard. Those are things that we should start to expect. Uh, but at the same time, there's also some technology that I think should be standard that hasn't really popped up in every single vehicle. Uh, things like Android Auto and Apple CarPlay keep your car's infotainment system up to date. Uh, as long as you've got an up-to-date Android phone or iPhone, uh, you should be pretty good to go and you have a free navigation system, in air quotes, uh, that's always up to date and works super well. Um, does it have a good stereo system? Does it have some interesting other technological advan advancements that kind of put it ahead of other vehicles? There's a lot of stuff to consider with safety and technology, and that's a big thing. And then last up is kind of a category that's more of a, or a subjective je ne sais quoi category, something that uh, is maybe more my personal opinion than actual fact, and you know, that is something I can't exactly put into words. There are going to be certain vehicles that I might be a little bit more biased for or against, and uh, that's just the way things go sometimes. Uh, but with all that considered, in this episode, we're talking about compact crossovers. Uh, this is the segment of vehicles in the United States right now that is selling the absolute most. Uh, outside of the F-150, uh, the top-selling vehicle, I think, in the U.S. last year was the Toyota RAV4. Uh, it is just exploded in attention, uh, both from automakers as well as in sales, and it's going to continue to grow. Uh, more or less, this has basically replaced mid-size sedan sales from 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, so it's definitely something worth considering. And it's also worth considering in that the last time I covered this particular segment was, I believe, at the end of 2017. Um, the market hasn't shifted a ton, uh, but there have been a lot of new entrants that are worth considering. There's been significant updates to some of the vehicles that I had considered back then uh, that are also worth talking about. So uh, just to kind of go over, I think, where we were at uh, two years ago, I believe it was the Mazda CX-5. Uh, the Hyundai Tucson and the Honda CRV that I rated one, two, and three, or sorry, three, two, one. And then I have the Jeep Cherokee as the uh, kind of alternative choice. Uh, there are going to be some vehicles in that list that are not returning or have been replaced with something else completely. Um, so we'll kind of talk about that as we go. So after a short little bump from this intro section, we'll talk about the number three choice in this segment today, and that is the Honda CRV. So as mentioned, coming in at number three, it is the 2019 Honda CRV. Now the CRV has, I think, maybe fallen the most simply because it has developed the least within the class. Uh, that's not to say that the CRV is a bad choice in any sense of measure, uh, that I would say that it's a bad thing to choose against the other vehicles in this thing. It's just one that I would be much less likely to get because of the weird way that Honda packages uh, the vehicle overall. Now, uh, Honda does have a full suite of crossovers and SUVs at this point, uh, starting with the HRV, then the CRV, uh, the Passport, and then the Pilot. 
the CRV has become their best-selling vehicle uh, at the moment. It's outselling both the Accord and the Civic, uh, but it is based on the same chassis as the Civic. Uh, and as such, it comes uh, with an engine that is sourced from the Civic. Uh, when you step up to the EX and you choose the all-wheel drive option, you are getting the 1.5-liter turbocharged engine from the Civic mated to a CVT automatic. Honda has gotten quite a bit of praise with the CVT. Um, it shifts more like a conventional geared automatic transmission. Uh, it puts power down in an effective way and helps produce some actual fuel economy gains. Uh, overall fuel economy ratings on the CRV are 29 miles per gallon, which is, I would say, pretty darn good for the segment that it's in. Uh, but, you know, there are others that are slightly more superior for roughly the same price. Another complaint I have against the Civic that I believe I touched on in the review two years ago is that in order to get a lot of what I feel should be standard equipment, you do have to step up into higher trim models to even have it available. Uh, in the case of the 2019 model, in order to get Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, you have to step up to the EX. I feel like that is a situate or at least an option that should be standard on every vehicle going forward uh it's highway robbery to me that it's not included on this car to begin with uh especially when the infotainment system in all hondas is so bad to begin with that being said you know uh there's a lot of other cool technology that's added to this vehicle including honda sensing uh which is a pretty decent set of safety equipment uh, including blind spot monitoring, pedestrian detection, crash mitigation, and then it's got this little camera system that when you uh, are making a right-hand turn, uh, it does check your inside corner to see if there are uh, vehicles in your way when changing lanes and other things. So there's a pretty good suite of usable technology in there that I think is at least maybe not class-leading, but definitely something that's usable by a wide variety of users. As far as overall design and tech or overall design and execution on this vehicle goes, you know, I think the CRV still looks pretty good. I wasn't super happy with the frumpy looks when it first came out, uh, but it has grown on me a bit. That being said, uh, it hasn't exactly kept up with the styling maneuvers done by the Pilot and the Passport uh, as they were updated for 2019. Perhaps we'll get an update on the CRV for 2020. Uh, but on the interior, you know, there's a lot of light that's included in the vehicle, uh, even without the optional huge moonroof on the Touring model. Uh, you know, the lighter colored interior bits look really good. Uh, the fake wood, while it is fake, doesn't look ridiculous. Uh, I like this kind of cloth leatherette thing that's on the door. I think it's a nice little sense of like a soft touch material to make the interior seem a little more comfortable. And the other great thing is that there is plenty of room in the back seat for full-size adults, as well as plenty of room behind that seat uh, for your junk when commuting, traveling, or anything else. Uh, it's not the biggest SUV in this segment because of the weird way that this segment is now classified, um, but it is, you know, more than adequate for most shoppers out there today. Um, I think, you know, if you're looking to spend less than $30,000, uh, it's a good way to go. Uh, one other thing I wanted to touch on uh, while I'm kind of thinking about it here is that the all-wheel drive system in this vehicle is not for everyone. And I think if you live in a climate here in the U.S. where you don't see uh, the need for all-wheel drive, the CRV I think, is a much better choice when you start looking at front-wheel drive only. 
the all-wheel drive system that Honda employs in this vehicle is not the super handling all-wheel drive system uh, that's utilized in the Passport, Pilot, RDX, and MDX. Uh, instead, it is the quote-unquote real-time all-wheel drive uh, that Honda's been using for years and arguably has gotten progressively worse as the CRV has continued on. Uh, this system is basically a traction control-based system that when the front wheels detect slippage, uh, it sends some power to the rear axle. I don't know if it can go all the way up to 50-50, um, but more or less the system is designed to get you out of, you know, some snow, some mud, some dirt. It's designed to get you off the ice and get going. But in any kind of scenario where you're going to need a lot more traction than that, uh, the CRV is not going to cut it. It's not going to be pulling trucks out of ditches. Uh, it's not going to be getting you down the road when there's a foot and a half of snow. Uh, it's really just enough to kind of help out. So if you don't need the all-wheel drive, I would say don't tick that option box. Uh, but in this comparison test where we are talking about all-wheel drive systems from the perspective of somebody who lives in Michigan, uh, it's it's adequate at best. Uh, so keep that in mind when you're shopping, if you want to save some money. If you don't want to spend the nearly $30,000 with taxes and all that jazz, keep the all-wheel drive system off, save yourself the $1,700, uh, and I think you'd have a pretty good vehicle overall. So coming in at number two, uh, this is one of those vehicles that I talked about that just leapfrogged the CRV in a way that I think was completely unexpected two years ago. Uh, the 2019 RAV4 is a game changer simply because Toyota took the time and energy to make it a much better vehicle. Uh, moving the vehicle to the TNGA architecture, which, which is shared with the Prius, uh, the Corolla, and many other vehicles, uh, the RAV4 is a good bit larger, a good bit more muscular in overall design and execution, and adds the ability to option a hybrid system that greatly increases the fuel economy and overall makes it a much smarter choice, in my opinion, compared to even base trim uh, RAV4s. At right around $29,000, the 2019 RAV4 Hybrid LE, I think is arguably the best option when it comes to fuel economy in this segment, let alone this entire body style, getting an average of 40 miles per gallon. I believe that's uh, 41 in the city, 38 on the highway. Uh, that is a stellar figure when you consider that making green choices is something that is increasingly important and something that comes with such a small cost in terms of overall price and performance, uh, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Now, as much as I did dock the CRV for having a not-so-great all-wheel drive system, you can make an argument that the system in at least the hybrid RAV4 isn't that much better better. Uh, what makes it different is that the gasoline and hybrid energy system primarily drives the front wheels, but just like the Honda, when slip is detected, it sends power to the rear. The main difference is that because it's not a gasoline system that has to run through a central center differential out to a rear axle and out to each of the wheels, instead what Toyota did is mount an electric motor to the rear axle that's able to engage the rear wheels when it's needed at low speeds with a modest amount of power to kind of get the vehicle going, but not enough to like 
go mudding or anything like that. Um, so I think for most people in most circumstances, the people who think they need all-wheel drive but maybe don't necessarily need it, I think this is kind of a good compromise in that situation. Living here in Michigan, I might personally want a little more than that. But when, you know, climate change is making our winters either really warm and not so snowy or incredibly snowy and super crazy, it's kind of the, the rough shot you kind of have to take sometimes with this particular vehicle. Um, and with, like I said, that fuel economy at 40 miles per gallon, you know, that's a game changer for a lot of folks. But outside of that engineering aspect of the vehicle, uh, it's the other details that I think are really great. The exterior styling was put in line with the uh, 4Runner and with the Sequoia and the Land Cruiser. I think this is a very attractive vehicle, uh, both on the outside and in. It's square, kind of a tough man shoulders go into the interior by adding some beefy rubber textures, some interesting storage compartments, and other things that I think just visually make it feel like a more up-to-date vehicle than the Honda CRV. Uh, the one major drawback I have with this vehicle is the infotainment system. Uh, Toyota continues to say that they do not want to have Android Auto as an available option in their vehicles, but they have... Uh, at least bucked the trend with themselves as of late, and they do offer Android Auto, or excuse me, Apple CarPlay, not Android Auto, on their Entune 3.0 system. Their standard infotainment system, even without the Apple overlay, is at best okay. Uh, it's definitely better than what Honda is using. I would argue it's definitely a good bit better than what Nissan has been using, um, but it still pales in comparison to what Hyundai, GM, uh, many other car makers offer. Uh, it just is not up to snuff. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the uh, buyers who would normally be looking at these cars in the first place. They tend to be a little bit older, a little less technologically averse. Uh, they want something that's a little more simple, and Toyota is still giving it to them, uh, even though the market is moving past that at a rapid pace. Uh, but when it comes to the actual interior, I do have one other uh, complaint, and that is headroom. Uh, now, I'm not a significantly tall person. I'm six foot. I'm definitely a little bit bigger than average, which is what I think 5'10 here in the U.S. Uh, I weigh 200 pounds. I'm, I'm what I would consider about as average as average gets for most big Americans here. And uh, the headroom in the front seats is pretty small, especially when you consider that the passenger seat cannot be raised or lowered like the driver's seat. Uh, my head was definitely scratching the roof uh, even without a sunroof, and that was a good bit of a disappointment to me. Uh, now, there might be some other adjustments that maybe I missed out on in the short time I had sitting in the seat of one, uh, but, you know, rear seat passengers, there's more than enough room. There's plenty of room behind that rear seat uh, in the cargo bay uh, with the overall square shape of the vehicle. Uh, it does have a little more capacity to fit in tall objects compared to, say, a CRV, simply because that has the sloping hatchback style rear roof. But, you know, again, the overarching thing here, I would have to say, is at $29,000 with 40 miles per gallon. Even though it is a little bit more than a Honda, you are going to recoup that cost pretty quickly with your fuel savings, especially if fuel prices spike anytime in the near future. At number two, it's definitely a very different vehicle than the number one choice. It's definitely a very different different vehicle than the number three choice. But overall, you know, I have to say, 
I really like the RAV4. As much as I do want the adventure model, which is prohibitively expensive, uh, I think this is a fantastic choice for most buyers and really should be the base trim model RAV4 that everyone goes to from the start. So coming in at number one, it is the all-new 2019 Hyundai Santa Fe. Now, there are some interesting kind of things that we can touch on here before we get into the details of the vehicle. Uh, but the overarching thing here that kind of stands out is that where the RAV4 is a hybrid that puts it almost in a different class compared to these other two, uh, the Santa Fe is technically a larger vehicle than both the CRV and the RAV4. And much of that has to do with the weird tweener sizing scenario that Hyundai's put themselves in with all of their crossovers and SUVs uh, going into 2019 and 2020. Uh, the all-new Santa Fe kind of does double duty by competing both with the likes of the Honda CRV as well as the Honda Passport um, in a weird kind of not quite there but almost there um, sort of situation. So if you're definitely a little bit kind of on the edge about the size of the CRV and and RAV4 in terms of cargo capacity and passenger uh, fitment. I think the Santa Fe is definitely going to be a much better job. But where it really starts hitting balls out of the park and really making a case for itself is in terms of value. Uh, at $28,800 for really not a lot of option boxes ticketed or ticketed ticked uh, because really all you need is the all-wheel drive system, uh, you're going to get a pretty damn good vehicle. Uh, standard on this thing is going to be uh, an 8-inch infotainment system that has Apple CarPlay and Android Auto standard. Uh, it's got a wide variety of safety uh, equipment standard, just like the Toyota, including blind spot monitoring, lane keeping assist, uh, rear cross traffic uh, alert and it also has radar cruise control standard that has the full stop and go capacity so you can sit in traffic uh, set your speed and if things uh, slow down to a halt in a uh, traffic scenario uh, the car will basically just take care of things by itself uh, that is a huge thing when you're a long distance commuter uh, it takes a lot of worry out of that situation for you and I think compared to the other vehicles in the segment, it does have to bump it a little bit further up this list. Another big plus for choosing the Santa Fe over the CRV and the RAV4 is that the Santa Fe includes a pretty robust all-wheel drive system. Uh, Hyundai's H-Track all-wheel drive uh, includes a locking center differential where you can manually set the power to be 50-50 between the front and rear. A lot of crossovers and SUVs do not have that kind of system uh, outside of perhaps a Jeep or uh, some more other robust off-roaders that cost a lot more than that. Uh, that system, you know, is going to be capable, very capable in deep snow and mud and dirt and pulling things out of situations. Uh, this vehicle is going to be able to get out of its own way and then some. Uh, so if you live in an area where the climate is a, maybe a little more chilly more of the year, you need a little more all-wheel traction, uh, this vehicle is going to do it for you uh, in ways that others just won't be able to compare. And I think that's a huge Plus, on the buy sheet, when you consider that the all-wheel drive option costs roughly the same as that of Honda's, and you are getting more content for your money. 
Now, when it comes to overall vehicle looks, I think the Santa Fe is arguably one of the better looking crossovers in its class. Uh, since it is all new for 2019, it is using the styling uh, kind of that got introduced, I guess, with the Santa Fe and then got perfected with the Palisade and now the new venue. Uh, the Santa Fe, I still think, is arguably the strongest looking of the three. Uh, just in terms of balance of the overall looks, it's got kind of this Iron Man kind of face and eyes to the front of the vehicle that just looks really impressive, especially in like darker colors. Uh, there's an orange color that they offer on this vehicle that I think looks stunning in higher trim levels of this vehicle. But even the base trim SE that we're talking about here for $28,800 still looks pretty good with the standard alloy wheels uh, and a few little subtle trim pieces missing. Heading into the inside, I think Hyundai also does a really good job with laying out an interior in a way that is clean, easy to use, easy to understand, and overall just looks and works really well in a way that Honda just doesn't have it down in the CRV. And when, even though I do like the big rubber knobs with Toyota, uh, you know, that's not for everybody. It's just a much more minimal design inside uh, that works really well. I've also spoken on uh, various iterations of the show about the infotainment system in Hyundai's. Uh, it is arguably one of the best out there, if not the best, uh, simply because buttons are easy to use and read on the screen. The screen is very responsive. Uh, the Android Auto and Apple CarPlay integration is great. Uh, the favorites button is a huge plus to take you in and out of menus uh, to get you where you got to go very quickly. Overall, it's just a system that works in a way that many other car makers wish they could do. And it's incredible to me that a car company that came out of nowhere 20 years ago is now leading the pack when it comes to these systems in 2019. Uh, overall size of the vehicle, again, is a huge plus, and that is going to contribute to huge gains, both in front seat comfort and rear seat comfort. Uh, on the base trim SE, it's not available as an option, but the higher you go up the trim level, I think it's the SEL Plus makes it standard. Uh, there is a sliding and reclining second row seat uh, that does give your rear passengers a good bit more comfort and usability uh, day to day that I think really is ultimately the better way to go. But keeping this vehicle under $30,000, uh, you can't quite jump up to that price just yet. Now, speaking of pricing, one other thing that we didn't touch on in the other vehicles, but we should touch here on the Hyundai, is that, you know, pricing, like I said, you're getting a lot for your money. It's really, really great. Uh, Hyundai also frequently has a good number of incentives available on these vehicles. Uh, here today in May of 2019, uh, there's nearly $3,000 cash back on this vehicle um, compared to nearly nothing on the Toyota and the Honda. Uh, while that does maybe indicate that Hyundai wants to keep these things moving, uh, it's always a good indicator that you're going to get a much better deal again with this vehicle. And as such, the warranty is absolutely fantastic on this vehicle. I believe the powertrain is a 10-year warranty. The actual vehicle itself is a 5 or 7-year. Uh, it's changed a couple of times in the past, but overall, you're going to get a lot more coverage for a lot longer on this compared to a Honda or Toyota. Even though they themselves have very good reliability, those things do get capped three years, 36,000 miles, or five years, 50,000 miles, uh, that is going to come up a bit short against the Hyundai in some situations. Overall, you know, I think this is a really good choice simply because it's a great choice. Like, it just, it has those features that I would want. It has those features that I feel like most people would want. It has a lot of things in it that people are going to be able to use 
and you know they're not forcing you to step up into these super crazy high trim levels to get it. Uh, Hyundai is really offering a great deal here, and I think it is without a doubt one of the best options in the segment, if not the best option in the segment, uh, at least by my standards. So last up, the fourth option vehicle. And I have to admit that I'm going to pull on the old heart string card here and go with the Jeep Cherokee. Uh, the Jeep Cherokee Latitude Plus 4x4, I think, is a model that really kind of ticks more option boxes here for me as a Michigander uh, than, say, somebody down in Texas, Florida, or California. Uh, in those kind of scenarios, you know, there are other vehicles that I think are definitely more worthy of your attention. Uh, but the big weighing factor here with the Jeep is the all-weather performance of its four-wheel drive system uh, and the, the, the confidence that that kind of brings along with it. Uh, you can definitely make an argument that a Subaru Forester kind of ticks some of those similar boxes, uh, but it when it really comes down to it, it is the capability that this four-wheel drive system has to not only dig yourself out of a ditch, uh, get yourself through the snow, through the mud, through the sand. Uh, it's those considerations that Jeep has made when designing this vehicle that I think really kind of puts it head and shoulders above a lot of the other vehicles in this class. That being said, the reliability on this vehicle is not going to be as good as a Subaru Forester or really anything else that I would consider close to this vehicle. Um, so if you're just looking to lease and you're getting rid of it after three years, once the warranty's up, I think the Cherokee is the smarter choice at the moment. Um, but if you're looking for a vehicle to buy and own for 10 years or more, uh, you've definitely got to look elsewhere. Uh, we've had a lot of experience with this Jeep in terms of uh, you know performance with the 2.4 liter engine and the nine speed automatic. Uh, as much as I am not a fan of the 9-speed automatic, it has been recalibrated for the 2019 uh, Cherokee updates. Just the same, the interior materials have been updated as well for 2019, along with a new front fascia and a new rear tailgate. It's a much nicer Cherokee than it was two years ago, um, which I think still makes a compelling argument for itself. The other hard part with the Cherokee is that the Trailhawk model exists. And the Trailhawk is only a couple grand more. And it's one of those situations where it is a slippery slope once you start adding options to the vehicle. And to get the maximum all-wheel performance, uh, the, the Trailhawk is the one to get. And if you can afford that extra three grand or so to get that model before incentives, I think that might be the better one worth considering if your budget allows for that much of a stretch. But if you have to stick to $30,000 or under, the Latitude Plus is more than enough for most people. Um, you know, get that cold weather group, get those heated uh, mirrors and heated seats, and I think you're going to be pretty happy overall. Now, I did touch on the Subaru Forester, and that is all new for 2019. And the big drawback for me on the Subaru Forester is that that vehicle is so incredibly boring. Uh, I, it looks almost exactly the same as the outgoing model. Uh, the only real big improvements for this vehicle is the new XT model that has finally come back. Uh, the turbo performance goes a long way to make it a fun vehicle day to day. Gives it that little bit more of an oomph when trying to get out of the mud or the snow or whatever. Um, but the extra added cost to that just goes so far beyond that $30,000 price point that 
you know, you, you can't really recommend it when you're looking at the base trim. Just the same, there's a lot of options that I feel like should be standard on the Subaru Forester, even in the base trim that just aren't there. You've got to step up to the premium model, and then you've got to tick some option boxes uh, to get it where I feel like it needs to be. Um, so at least in terms of like standard safety equipment, it goes far beyond that of the Jeep. Uh, it definitely rivals that of the Hyundai, but again, uh, it's it's just not quite the vehicle that I think I would want to use day-to-day in most scenarios. There is one other black sheep coming in the not-too-distant future, and that is the 2020 Ford Escape. Now, we do know a lot about the new Ford Escape. It's gotten fully shown off uh, just a few weeks ago uh, back at the New York Auto Show, and uh, I have to say I'm pretty impressed with the new Escape. Uh, Size-wise, it does look like it's a little bit more of a smart execution compared to the outgoing model that just seemed like an overly tall Ford Focus. Uh, This one is based on the new Ford Focus chassis from Europe uh, that will be using a wide variety of uh, engine options and four-wheel drive systems and... uh, Ford's not really saying a whole lot more about that at the moment. Uh, Chances are this is just going to be a good commuter crossover with a lot of super up-to-date technology and uh, other smart systems with the Ford Copilot 360 program. Um, I think it's going to be a smart choice in the not-too-distant future, but in this particular scenario, uh, it's just not quite ready for prime time. There is one other vehicle I wanted to touch on, and that is the GMC Terrain. Uh, This is a vehicle that I've talked about on other iterations of this podcast before, and it's one that I think definitely deserves some attention simply because it's just a good-looking crossover. Uh, The overall design, uh, the simplicity of this kind of architecture-type layout to it, I think is just really attractive, uh, both outside and in, uh, where things start falling apart. First of all is with uh, interior materials. GM just is not quite up to snuff the way they were a few years ago. Uh, They really seem to be getting blown out of the water by other car makers. Uh, The Koreans in particular are just walking away from them right now. Uh, It is really wild. Uh, And the other big drawback is price. Uh, GMC has these things priced to the stratosphere. Uh, Even just small option boxes being ticked uh, really drive this thing north of $30,000 quickly. Uh, So you're really counting on incentives to be able to get a terrain at an affordable price. And that is not a good way to go car shopping. Um, So definitely buyer beware in that scenario. Um, You know, it's a tough market out there. And it's just so weird that GMC is doing what they do with this vehicle in particular. And then as far as like vehicles to avoid, uh, that's a pretty small list at this point in time. Uh, definitely any of the older RAV4s I would steer clear of at this point in time. I'm not a big fan of the Nissan Rogue because there is a new model coming in the not-too-distant future. Uh, it just really needs a significant update. So without major incentives and other things like that, I just don't think it's a good model to go for overall. And then just the same, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross is a relatively new vehicle based on an older chassis with some older technology. Um, It is what I would consider good enough in this segment, um, but there are other choices for the same amount of money that are much, much better uh, and would be where I'd recommend spending your cash. The big key thing in this segment is that, of course, it's changing all the time. Like I said, the new Escape is coming. We've got a new Rogue coming in the not-too-distant future. Uh, There will likely be an update for the CRV in the very near future. Uh, 
you, 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 you stand still for two or three minutes and, and the whole segment changes. So uh, bear in mind that uh, it's best to wait if you're not entirely sure. Um, but if you are sure, you know, there's a, not a better time to get these things. Sales are starting to slow down for the industry on the whole. Incentives are going to start stacking up. And there's a good chance you're going to be able to save some money because this is a hot segment. They want your dollars and they're going to do everything they can to get your sale. So uh, be aggressive when negotiating. Uh, don't be afraid to go from dealer to dealer and brand to brand because uh, you might end up with a pretty good deal. Uh, anyway, guys, that wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide for Compact Crossovers. Uh, I hope you gained some kind of knowledge and input uh, from this. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN. And you can always follow along with other versions of this podcast at anchor.fm slash salvage title. In the meantime, guys, I hope you have a wonderful car buying experience and I will potentially see you again on the next episode of the Salvage Title Car Buyer's Guide. Thank you.